Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, JJ Peterson. Hi, JJ. Hi, Don. JJ, today on the podcast yes. is Patrick Lincioni. And I've called him Lincioni <laughs> for a long time. I think we did even it's, last week. <laughs> and I think I did in the interview. He never corrected me because yeah. he's too humble to do that. Yeah. But then when we actually asked him to say his name, because yeah. we record, hi, I'm Patrick Lincioni, from him. Yeah. He said Lynchoni, and I was like, oh. And he goes, do you want me to do it the other way? <laughs> did he, really? he really did. You want me to do it the other way. <laughs> anyway, I have an exercise for us. Okay. And it happens in this interview, because we already recorded the interview. You have not heard the interview yet. I have not. One of the things that he says, his book is called The Ideal Team Player. Mm -hmm. He says that you need to have these three characteristics to be the ideal team player. Yep. Humble. Yeah. Hungry. Yeah. Smart. Okay. We've talked about two of those for years. This yep. company. We only hire humble and hungry. Yep. And smart is a given. Yeah. He means <laughs> well, smart. We hope. <laughs> <laughs> he means smart a little differently. And I say this in the interview. If you would have said, Don, what does it mean to be smart at work? I would have said, understand what's profitable. What's yeah. profitable to think about? What's profitable to do? What's profitable? Who's profitable to hang out with? You know, and he, he acknowledges that's good. But he actually really means smart from a people perspective. Yeah. He means, you know, you've got to know when you say dumb things and it hurt people's feelings. Emotional you know, intelligence. Emotional and, intelligence. Yeah. yeah. But then here's the exercise I want to do with you. Okay. <laughs> he makes people rank themselves <gasps> from strength to weak. Not necessarily from strength to weakness. Okay. What are you strongest at? Are What's you next, next strongest at? Okay. And what are you next strongest? So I don't want to say like the third is necessarily weak. Yeah. I found it a little bit challenging for myself. Yeah. I'm curious. What, I already what would have you yours. No, no, no. Are you being serious? <laughs> no. Because I really don't know. Humble is, you know, you're capable of thinking about others. It's not mm -hmm. that you don't ever think about yourself. You think about others. You don't think too much for yourselves, those kinds of things. Mm. Hungry is driven. Yeah. You want to see results. Yeah. And smart is, you're, you're not an idiot when it comes to team. People yeah, because when yeah. you think about team playing, yeah. it's really all about being able to do it. So, oh, wow. so you have some emotional intelligence. You don't offend people all the time. You're not that person. Yeah. Wow. The longer like I was listening to you talk, the harder that became for me really? of ranking them the three. Yeah. I would say my gut would say the smart first. Yeah. It's tough because I actually, I, I'm not just saying this. I yeah. think you're strong at all three. Yeah. That, I, well, thank you. <laughs> because I'm humble, I'll put that number one. I don't want to <laughs> say that I'm strong at all three. <laughs> uh, I would have, but I, did I say strong in all yeah. three? I meant strong in two. Because <laughs> <Two. laughs> um, if I say I'm strong in all three, then humble's got to be last. Um, but that's where uh, I would say smart, like with people side of things, number one. And then I would say, uh, hungry than humble. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the opposite. I mean, we've talked about this before from a sense of I'm a two on the Enneagram. And so kind of when you challenge me or other people, yeah. then I go after you. So like, I'm but not... But I've, I've not seen that very no, often. No, it's... it's yeah. But I, like, that's the side of... Humble to me is, I think, being very self-aware of what your giftings are. Like, I don't think if you say, no, I'm a really good singer. And you really are. I don't think that's being that's cocky. Not that's not arrogance. That's it's it's who understanding are. who you are and your giftings. To me, like the arrogant side is when you, <laughs> I think I could walk on the, we talked about this last week, I, I could walk on the ice and be an expert curler. That's like not being humble. <laughs> it's like, I, I couldn't. So yeah, I would say if I'm just gut reaction, number one, smart, number two, hungry, number three, humble. I, yeah, that's interesting. I might... Put your humble at the top. At the top. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. You're driven. <laughs> I'm. That's I, that's the last two. It's like I like to say that I'm humble anyway. I try to walk humbly in all things, but I also am driven. Like yeah. I want to win, and I want the people around me to win even more. And so, 
I would say that's why I put humble last, but not because I don't think I'm okay at that. But you know, it's funny with me if you define smart as the ability to understand what's profitable. Mm-hmm. Like I really think that's my superpower is that I just know what we should be thinking about. At least I think I do. Yeah. <laughs> but then if you define it as people. people. I, it might be my last. <laughs> I mean, I'm humbly I going to agree with you on that. <laughs> well, and again, not because it's a weakness, but because I genuinely think your hungry is like, I would say, number one. It sort of railroads. The and then two. I would say humble is two and people, smart people is three, but not out of a weakness, just out of that would be the order I'd put it. Yeah, because the hungry eats the other two. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know I'm doing it. Yeah, that's why I don't want to be that guy. Have me on the here. Yeah. That I come up to you and go, hey. That's by why the way. you have a big fan club. <laughs> and people are like, can you true. tell? Hey, are you Don Miller? Yeah. Can you tell JJ hi? <laughs> <laughs> not true. That's not true. Hey, it doesn't bother me at all because it helps. It still helps me accomplish my yeah, goals. Exactly. You know. You know it's profitable. <laughs> JJ's famous. We'll, JJ's famous. We're gonna make a killing. <laughs> But that's that's part of humility. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's just tell ourselves that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, wouldn't you agree, though, because you've been around a couple of years, you've been around yeah. here going on three now, when we mess this up in terms of a hire or a consideration yeah. for a hire, there's problems. Yeah. We're joking about being weak in some of these areas, but we're not really. I'm not it's well, completely... Well, what I do like, love about that is that I do believe we've really tried hard to embody those values in StoryBrand. And even when we create certified guides or we bring on facilitators. Yeah, we've let some go, didn't have humility. Yeah, we try to say, hey, you now carry the story brand name. And if you're going to work with clients outside of us and still be certified by us, and you can't be humble in this, and you can't be smart as far as like helping other people succeed, I'm sorry, here's your money back. We're not... And we've done that, and it's expensive. I mean, it's, you know, it's 10 grand to become a guide, and we've had a couple times now. Yep. And we try really hard, and yeah. we mess it up sometimes. But I'm drawn to that in other companies as well. You yeah. know, when we meet people, there's a lot of the people we have on our podcast. We really try hard. We you don't want to say it. We've actually recorded some we've interviews recorded some and, and not aired them. them. Yes, I was not going to say it. We've recorded some interviews and we've not used them. And, and the reason they was had some good stuff in them. It was arrogance. Yeah, there was arrogance in it. And we said, no, this is not what the Patrick would say. Want. That kind of arrogance, and I recognize it. I'm thinking of a couple really, really well known yep. folks who we would have loved to have had a podcast because the name recognition matters. Yeah. And they were just so terribly yes. arrogant. <laughs> and even in the moment, I just kept thinking, this dude is wounded. Yeah. This dude is hurting. Yeah. And, it, you know, it matters. The bottom line is you can either make or lose money if you hire the wrong people. But then how do you know? Yeah. And Patrick, the ideal team player, he gets right in. He breaks it down in such a simple way. Humble, hungry, smart. And we get into the definition of what those things are where to look for them and we have a lot of fun in this conversation as well it's very convicting you know I hate to say it but he's probably my staff's favorite business (laughs) author (laughs) (laughs) anyway I'm trying not to be better here's my conversation with Patrick Lynchoni Patrick thanks for being on the Building a Story Brand podcast it is great to be here I want to talk to you about your new book, The Ideal Team Player. It's a fable. You've stumbled over some things that we've figured out in the last five years. Our company's only about four or five years old. And our mantra from the very beginning was only hire people who are humble and hungry. And Mm. that came from the Houston Rockets winning two back-to-back national championships 
Remember when Jordan went to play baseball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the only way oh, the Rockets. Yeah, the only way the Rockets actually could have won is Jordan stepped out to play baseball. But Rudy Tomjanovich, the coach, said, "We just only want players who are humble and hungry," and that stuck with me because it says so much. It says so much, and so we were glad to be affirmed by your book that we were making two of the three really right choices, and the, the third one we'll get to in a second. First of all, I want you to introduce us to this fable that you wrote, but I want to know how you came across this idea of really it boils down to being humble and hungry and smart is the third one. How did you come across those characteristics? Well, it was a lot by accident. And by the way, smart means emotionally smart, you know, common sense around people. Yeah. But I didn't know that I even had a model. It was just years ago after I first, I was working at a software company and I was an executive and had some of the people that work with me now working there. And we had this department. And so we went out after we read Jim Collins' book, Good to Great or Built to Last, and said, gosh, these core value things seem to be important. We got to go get some of them. So we had an offsite meeting with a flip chart, you know, and we really thought about what we wanted to be about, and we came up with these three things. But we had no idea there was any universal appeal. A few years later, we started our own firm, and we said, we're going to build the culture around those three things. We won't do anything that's not those. And then we went out, and one of the things we did in our firm and still do is help our clients come up with their core values. And they would say, hey, Pat, what are your company's core values? And we would say, (laughs) well, we don't really publicize those. They're really an internal thing. They go, yeah, but just tell us. Okay. And we'd say, humble, hungry, smart. They go, yeah, we'll take those. We'll use those too. And we'd say, no, you have to come up with your own core values. See, those are ours. See, this isn't just the type of person you're looking for. You consider these your core values as a company. Yes. At the time, that's how we saw them, which meant we would hire and fire for those, but we would also build our whole culture around that. You're good friends with Ken Blanchard. And Ken, you know, one of the things he says is you really should only have three company core values because if you have more than three, people just can't remember them. And if you can't remember them, they won't live them. Was there a reason that you kept it that simple? I'd like to say yes. We do know that when you have too many, basically if you have too many, nobody's going to fit in your company because they can't have all of them. Right, right. And you can't remember them. There's something about three, you know. Yeah. So we thought our clients were being lazy. It was only a few years later one day. I don't know where I was. I wish I did. I wish I had a great story, Don, that I could tell you. But I was like, wait a second. There's universal appeal here. I wonder what this is. And we started to think about it. We said, well, If somebody had these three things, they would be able to do the five dysfunctions, overcome the five dysfunctions that we've been writing about for years. And so we said, oh, that's really interesting. These are actually the core traits or virtues of a person who could do that. Well, that makes sense. And that's what we're all about. Okay, good. And then another year later, I was having lunch with a friend named Matthew Kelly. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a great writer. And he said to me, so what are you writing? And I said, I don't know. I think I'm done writing. I don't think I have any other books. And he said, what about that humble, hungry, smart thing? Yeah. I don't think that's a book. And he goes, oh, it's totally a book. And I said, I don't know. It's pretty simple. And he goes, <laughs> it's a book. So I thought this would be the ideal team player, Pat Lanchoni's first book that really sucks. That would be the <laughs> subtitle. Because I thought, this is so simple. Nobody's going to think this is. Yeah. And let me tell you. How am I going to fill these pages, right? <laughs> right. And so we wrote the fable and we fleshed it out. And we said, you know, there's actually more here than we thought. But still, it's pretty simple. Humble, hungry, smart. This book has taken off like no other book I've written. Yeah, it's not surprising. You say in the book, leaders who can identify, hire, and cultivate employees who are humble and hungry and smart will have a serious advantage over those who cannot. And I just want to echo that. You know, again, we haven't been around for a long time, only about four or five years, but it has all come down to the personality of the people that we hire. Of course, we have, you know, goals and wig sessions and four disciplines of execution, all that kind of stuff. But there's been a couple times when I've just put the wrong person on the team and everything grinds to a halt. In fact, I can remember two seasons. 
I can remember two seasons in the history of the company where I was losing sleep. And by that, I mean, you know, the second yeah. you kind of wake up at 3 a.m., you're up. You're not going back to bed. And so I'd go out. I have this writing shed behind my house. I go out to the writing shed and just worry and try to figure something out. And it all came down to some personalities on the team that were causing some financial problems and some customer service problems and those kinds of things. But humble, hungry, and smart would have solved that problem from the beginning. You know, you say, look, if you if you hire somebody who's only humble, they're not going to be driven because they don't like conflict. If you hire somebody who's only hungry, they'll be high impact, but they'll have no awareness of others. Now, I've hired that person, and it's really yeah. painful. And if they're only smart, they're going to be a charmer. They're going to be very fun, but they're going to have no interest in team goals. You have to put them all together. Talk us out of the temptation of firing an incomplete package. Well, here's the thing. So I think that there's something we can do that's better than getting rid of somebody who doesn't meet these. And that is sit down with them and have them. We, we tell our, the teams we work with, everybody, let's just rank ourselves, not rate, but rank ourselves first through third on these values. I don't care if oh, you're wow. great at all of them or if you're <laughs> terrible at all of them. You, one of them's the third. Yeah. So everybody goes, okay, here's my third. We got it. And that makes it a little less feeling judgmental and they self-rate. And then we go, okay, so let's get together with people that share our, our area and brainstorm about how we're going to get better. So in other words, somebody says, okay, you know, I'm not very humble. And they, I've had this happen with it. And they come back and they say, I uh, talk about myself a lot. I don't really take an interest in others. It's kind of about how things affect me. And uh, I don't celebrate other people enough to know what's going on in their life and in their work. I need to get better at that. And the leader says, good. Okay. And here's where the rubber meets the road. I'm going to call you on that because I love you every time I see you do it. So you're, you're helping the people who aren't doing well in these categories. Part of the process is helping them get better. Yes, In exactly. a non-judgmental, non-unconditionally loving kind of environment. Absolutely. And now here's the beauty of this. If we as leaders, and we rarely do, this may have been the biggest discovery I made in my 20 years of doing this. If you constantly remind somebody every time you see them do that in a loving but honest way that, you, oh, you did it again. There, you did it again. Yeah. They are going to do one of two things, Don. They're going to get better, and they often do. They really do, because nobody likes to be reminded every day, gosh, I'm falling short. Or they're going to leave, because they realize this environment demands something of me that's just not my natural strength. Yeah, yeah. Those are both okay. I had a friend over dinner once say, there was somebody on staff who probably needed to go, and Roy said to me, define the company values. Define what they are. We had already done that remind everybody what they are, have a session where you talk about it, have them write it down, and I almost guarantee you that person will leave within a couple months. There you go. And we did it, and they did. They were gone. I didn't have to fire them. And that, their dignity they have of going, I'm self-selecting myself out because this isn't my fit, that's a healthy process. You know, Alan Mulally turned Ford around. I don't know if you've read that book, um, American Icon, but I highly recommend it. He turned Ford around in the worst situation it could have been. It's really quite an amazing story. And far too few Americans understand it. I didn't until I met him and I read the book. He fired almost nobody at Ford. Huh. I would have thought he'd have gone in there and yeah, said, Yeah, cleaned house. Right. You know what he did? He said, this is the new way we're going to do things. And that's how we're going to do it. And then he'd catch somebody doing the wrong thing. And he'd go, you know, you, you got to come to all these meetings we're having. And they go, well, I don't really want to. And he'd go, that's okay. And they go, really? And he goes, yeah, we could still be friends, but you can't work here. So what do you want to do? It's up to you. And he meant it. Yeah, he wasn't yeah. bitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know how many people left on their own quickly? Yeah, a lot, I would imagine. And there's something about joyful accountability, I call it, that we don't do. I like to say this. I tell somebody once, and I'm not good at this. I'm an ENFP in the Myers-Briggs, so I'm, I'm kind of a, a yeah. wuss, as I call it. And so I'll see a person do something wrong, and I'll go up and tell them. And then I'll see them do it again the next week, and I'll go right to my wife, and I'll tell her. 
And then I'll go right to my colleagues and I'll tell them. And then I'll go, why doesn't this guy get it? Uh, I'm laughing because it's too close to home. <laughs> too, too close to home. Well, I want to walk through the three characteristics. And you switched me from thinking uh, I've got to get the perfect staff and team and stuff to, I mean, pretty quickly you made me analyze myself. And I went, oh, yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about the one that I'm third at. But I, let's do go through because I think everybody probably did that listening. They ranked themselves humble, hungry, smart. And let's go through and see how we can get better at each one. But I, I will say this. Your book, The Ideal Team Player, is a fable. It's it's delightfully written as a piece of fiction, as a story about a guy named Jeff Shanley. Can you tell us the beginning of the story, how the story gets started? All of my books have these uh, – I've written, I think, 11 or 12 books, and 10 of them are fables. And I, I did that because I, I did some screenwriting for fun before I started my writing yeah. career. And I was just – I didn't want people to put my book down in three chapters in and say, I think I got this. And I thought, well, if I can make it short and I can make it a story, people will be learning. And just the other day, I was in a little hole-in-the-wall Indian restaurant in San Ramon, California. And these two people came in. They were sitting there, and they said, are you Pat? And they said, we don't read, and we read your books. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a compliment. And it's usually guys. And they say, you know, it's short. I'm really interested in what's going to happen in the story. And before I know what's going on, I'm reading and learning your model. Hmm. So that's why I do that. And this guy, Jeff Shanley, was actually – a character, not the main character, but a character in my book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And because these two books kind of go together, he comes in as the main character in this and takes over his uncle's fairly large regional construction company up in Napa, California. Well, little did I know that Napa would burn to the ground and they would have to be rebuilding it. So this uh, is probably a, yeah. very interesting. But he takes over this construction firm and finds that their issue is there's a lot of politics there and they don't know what to do. And he sits down and in trying to ramp up the company fairly quickly, he realizes if we don't hire people that are going to stay and fit and contribute right away, we're through. Hmm. And they said, so how do we do that? And so they look at their very best people and they look at the people that were talented but didn't fit and they come up with a model and then they apply it to a senior executive they're going to hire and they go through the interview process and they're really probing to figure out if he has all three of these. And so there's some drama in it and some good characters. And um, by the end of it, you go, oh, my gosh, I'm going to look for these three qualities in everybody I hire. And I'm going to make sure the people that work here have them. You talk about being humble, the first one, humble, hungry, smart. And you say there are people who are either overtly arrogant and they're lacking self-confidence or people who are you know, really passive and lacking self-confidence. But the, the two types of those have in common this insecurity. Define humble from your perspective. What does that mean? And how do we recognize that somebody who's overtly arrogant, this is really just an insecurity manifesting itself? Well, and that is true in all of life. You know, the braggy guy is the one that feels like he's not enough, so he has to right. prop himself up. And C.S. Lewis had a great, I think it was Ken Blanchard who told me this quote, but C.S. Lewis's quote is that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Huh. And that takes strength. You know, people who think about themselves a lot, well, I think C.S. Lewis was even the one to say, if you have a toothache, you're just thinking about yourself because you're in pain. And it's, right. it's true internally, too, with our insecurities. That's a great way to, to say that, to look at that. That's right. So humility, the one you're really looking out for is the overtly arrogant. And so that's a, that's a slam dunk. A person like that drains the attention of the team, frustrates yeah. everybody else. But that really demure person who doesn't think their ideas are very good or doubts their own talent, sometimes we like them because they don't ruffle our feathers, but they don't help the team. Right. And so we have to recognize humility has two sides of that coin. And we have to make sure that the people are confident enough to acknowledge the gifts God gave them and what they're good at. But they don't need to remind people constantly, but they're not going to apologize for having a good idea. 
we have a president who would not embody the virtue of humility. Yeah. And he's been successful at getting elected. And I, I don't mean that as a, a knock against President Trump. I love some of the policies that are coming down the pipe. Some of them I disagree with. But I always have to kind of turn off the television or turn down the radio at the arrogance and narcissism that is clearly coming from wounds. I mean wounds. Somebody hurt this sure. guy somewhere and he's overcompensating. But he's successful. And my fear is a lot of people, especially young people, would look at that and say, well, you know, when Trump gets attacked, he doesn't turn the other cheek. He bashes his enemies and he, you know, he wallers around in the mud with these folks. How can we understand the success of this leader? You know, would he have gotten there without being that kind of personality? While we also have to grapple with the fact that he is unbelievably unproductive because of the very same characteristic. I mean, he's, you know, People are constantly leaving the White House. It's a revolving door. He's having to fire people. You know, people are living in fear of him. Now he's surrounded by a bunch of people who are submissive, and they're not really giving him his opinion. He doesn't want to hear bad news. Just a lot of negativity. But this, to me, is an anomaly. I can't quite get my head around this. How do you analyze this whole situation? Well, I would say two things. First of all, I think very few politicians are humble. What's interesting is in my model, we label each type. And, and if you're hungry and smart, which means you're, you have ambition and you want to work hard and you're really good about dealing with people, but you're not humble, that's the most dangerous type. We actually label that person the skillful politician, ironically. And why do we – here's a question. Why do we like them? I mean, not, not like them. Why do they keep getting elected? Well, here's the thing. Well, you know, Because I totally understand where you're coming from and I agree. And that is because – Politics is not a team sport. Mm, yeah. Government and politicians never call us to work with their organization. It is a bit of a battlefield, isn't it? It's kind of a, a gladiator model. And we live in a society, you know, my, my history teacher, Mr. Fanuki, once said, anyone who wants to be president shouldn't be. <laughs> and wouldn't it be great if we said, okay, elections are coming up. Who are we going to recruit? Who are we going to make be our president? Right. Alan Mulally, <laughs> the guy who did Ford, they, people approached him and he's like, I'm not going to do that to my family. And part of the problem is we get what we want because we treat it too much like a contest. Like it's, it's, it's almost entertainment. And so I would say this. I totally agree with you. I remember when the Republican primary came out, I thought, well, he's certainly not going to win. And he's my least favorite of all of them. Yeah, I th the same thing. And, the other and then it winnowed it down. down. But you know something? None of the others would have got elected because in this day and age, you have to have such a big ego, even if it's transparent. Now, I think there's other presidents that have had just as big of an ego or bigger, but, but were, they were smart enough to act like they didn't. Yeah. But this guy, he's just brutally transparent. And I don't mean that in a good or bad way. It just is. We all, you could be his biggest supporter and go, well, that guy is got the ego of a five-year-old, you know? Yeah, yeah. And regardless of how you feel about his policies, the problem is we actually look for people that make news now, not for people that have wisdom. If you're boring, but really competent, we don't want that. We want a celebrity to be president. Until we put more time into looking at candidates than we do into American Idol or into The Bachelor, this isn't gonna change. I'll be back in a moment with the rest of my interview with Patrick Lencioni. We have just wrapped up our February live marketing workshop in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was a blast. We had about 100 business leaders come to town, all with pretty much the same problem. They just didn't feel like their marketing was working, and the reason, they're having trouble explaining what they do. And so we took all these business leaders and guided them through the seven-part story brand framework, which gave them crystal clear clarity on what they do, why it mattered to a client, and what problems they solved 
for their client. These business leaders left with some serious paradigm shifts. They knew talking about your customer's problem is the only reason they're actually attracted to you. And if you don't say it very simply and clearly, they're going to tune out and start to daydream. We taught them how the human brain works. Then we actually helped them create a brand script of their own. They left with the language necessary to fill their websites, email blasts, elevator pitches, brochures, super easy changes that they can make when they get home in order to see a massive return on their investment. If this sounds attractive to you, if you are struggling with how to talk about your business and you're convinced your website's not working as well as it should, your elevator pitch is turning people off, start talking about your company differently. Come to the StoryBrand Live Workshop in April. Register today. We want to see you. We're saving a seat for you. Go to storybrand.com to register. Talk to me about Hungry. You say on page 159 of the book, hungry people almost never have to be pushed by a manager to work harder because they are self-motivated and diligent. Yeah, that is so important and pretty straightforward. But you know what I found? This is the hardest one to instill in a person later in life. So if they don't have it, it's tough to grow. Yeah, deep down inside, people really do want to be humble, and it's liberating when they get there. And if you've ever known somebody went rock bottom and they come out of it, they're like, oh, this is such a burden release. Mm-hmm. I was just working so hard to protect my ego, and now I can just be real. But there's plenty of people in the world like, no, I kind of like being like this. <laughs> yeah. And so I really ask people in interviews, like, tell me about when you were in high school. Did you study? I don't care about your grades, but did you work hard at least? Yeah. Or did you have a job when you were in high school? Or when you were in college, did you do something? Because If they don't get this relatively early in life, sometimes this is the hardest one to achieve. I would not have thought that when I wrote the book. I thought this would be the easiest one. But some people, they'll only do exactly what you ask them to do and no more. And that's not good for a team. We have a really driven team. But it is very, very frustrating when you just can't get that person moving. Not only is it frustrating from a company perspective, but... You know, I mean, if you look at like Viktor Frankl's logotherapy and what creates a meaningful life, a big aspect of it is just having a vision for something that you want to do and trying to make it happen. You know, as well as a screenwriter guy, you you know, you started, you understand that stuff. If you have a character that doesn't want anything, you have no story. Right. Nobody's going to engage the story. The character doesn't want to go anywhere. And occasionally you'll see a movie where it's kind of like that. And people leave and go, why didn't I like that? It's like, because he didn't care about his life. Why would he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does Hungry look like for you on an ideal team player? I mean, you because the downside of Hungry a lot of times can be, and I've only encountered this maybe once or twice on my own staff, but they really wanted to do their own company. And they're only here because they don't have the capital to start it. And you're kind of looking at this going, I don't think this is going to work because this person is so hungry. They need to be the top dog running the show. They're not really a team person. You know, the problem there is probably a lack of humility because it's not so much if a person came to you and said, hey, Donald, one day I'd like to do what you're doing. I'd like to run my own company. But until then, I really want to help you do this right. And I want to learn from you. And I'm going to be I'm all in. You'd go, that's okay. You were upfront about that. Yeah. Yeah. Person who's kind of holding that back and thinking I could have done this better. And man, I resent the fact that I'm not in charge. That's that lack of humility. So hunger without humility is a terrible thing because it's dangerous. It is a very simple model, Patrick, but it is complete. It really does, you know, in my experience, it's just, it feels very complete. Finally, they have to be smart. In the context of a team, you say on page 160, smart simply refers to a person's common sense about people. Now, I'm very curious about this because you put it right toward people. It has everything to do with the ability to be interpersonally appropriate and aware. Now, here's, this is going to be, I want you to psychoanalyze me here. If you would have said, Don, 
Third characteristic, they need to be smart. Don, you tell me what you think it means to be smart in a corporate environment. I would have told you they have the ability to smell what is profitable and what is not profitable. And I don't just mean money-wise. I mean in terms of what you think about, how you spend your time, who you interact with, what you talk about. You said people, and I kind of went, ooh, this is kind of convicting. Because there are certain times when man, just hanging out with this person, you know, or even hiring this person. I remember talking to somebody, really they were capable, I really wanted them on staff, but I realized if I hire this person, they're going to drain hours and hours of my time talking about <sighs> things that have nothing to do with my goals. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. And I can't yes. do it. Am I a bad person for that, or is there some sort of compromise here? No, you're a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> this is not about denying the importance of like intelligence or even instinct or, um, you know, the, a person who understands what's going on in terms of the decision-making and all that. But what it's to say is the premium has to be placed on how they understand people. Because if you're on a team and you've got a person who's humble, hungry, and smart around the humans, you're collectively going to figure things out and you're going to sniff out profits and all that stuff. But you're going to do it in a way that gets people to buy in and to understand that. If you have a brilliant person really instinctual, really has good intuition, but they just don't understand that when they say something that it really frustrates the rest of the team. Yeah, you're done. We call this person, by the way, an accidental mess maker. Hmm. I have a lot of time for those people because they mean well, they're humble and they're hungry, but that lack of smarts creates so much more work. You know, you and I have a common friend in Dave Ramsey. Mm -hmm. Dave Ramsey would say, well, that guy's intelligent, but he's not smart. <laughs> and this is what we're talking about here is I don't care how bright a guy is. I don't care how much he knows about a business and all that. If he's not smart enough to understand how to listen to somebody and talk to them and get yeah. it when they're mad, and he's not going to use that very well. So that's what we mean by smart. There is a kind of common sense there. Yeah. Yeah. It's not touchy feely, though. It's really more adept at understanding people. Have you ever had any, you know, you do a lot of consulting. You go into some companies that have some dysfunctional teams and you help them figure things out. Have you ever had to sit down with an executive? I, I know you have, and I don't want you to name names or anything. What's it like to sit down with an executive who's just not smart in the way that you are describing? I mean, what, do you, what do you tell them? It's not easy. And this, I wrote a book called Getting Naked, which is about how to consult. And you better be ready to sacrifice yourself for them, to tell them something that they may fire you for or not like you for, but it's in their best interest. It's the true definition of service. It's loving somebody more for them than for yourself. Now, you have to say it in a way that gives them the best opportunity to receive it well, but you can't hold it back and you can't pretend. Otherwise, you're just enabling them, and that's cruel. Have you seen some people turn around when you've actually confronted them and said, hey, when you say this, you're making everybody upset. You're the reason for the dysfunctional oh, yeah. team. You've seen them turn around. Well, here's the thing. When you do that with people that are humble, They'll go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I'm so sorry. And you're like, oh, uh, so yeah. you knew. And they go, no, I really didn't understand. I really meant this. Well, I have a lot of time for those people. It's ones that go, yeah, I knew what I was saying. I'm, and that's a lack of humility. It's interesting, Don. This is the hardest thing in this model is discerning whether a person who struggles in this, is it because of their ego or is it because they really just don't get it? Yeah. Well, you say in the book, page 215, I must admit that apart from the other two virtues, humility stands alone. You really can't work with anything that isn't humble, can you? I mean, if there's a situation no. where you just have arrogance, it's just not going to work. Well, the root of all sin is pride. All the other sins come under pride, you know, and humility is the antidote to pride. 
this guy, Matthew Kelly, this writer told me once, he goes, hey, Jesus was so humble. People were just attracted to him. They just wanted to be with him. Yeah. Humility is the quality that people just, and it's the most lacking in our society. Okay. Lastly, I want you to help us embed the model into an organization's culture. What are the baby steps for us getting this model into our culture? What do we need to do first? The first thing we need to do is at the top of the organization, the leader and his or her direct reports, because that's so important. They have to be absolutely committed to this and completely transparent about which of these areas they need to get better on. And by the way, Don, just because a person is, has a third doesn't mean they're egregiously lacking. You're right. Because we're really concerned about people egregiously lacking. But it's great if everybody could say, this is my third, and create a culture internally, starting at the top where people can do that. Then leaders have to be willing to have difficult conversations with people when they see them violate it. But the next thing is, then you have to build this into the way you hire. Say, hey, turn the resume over, as a good friend of mine, a CEO, says, turn the, the resume over and get the blank part on the back and really ask people about their lives and their experiences and find out if they're humble, hungry, and smart. And value that more over their technical skills because, man, you could teach somebody about accounting or technology, but you can't teach some of these very easily. Yeah. yeah. So hiring, start with embedding it internally into the conversations people are having. And even performance reviews. Just like sit down and go, okay, let's talk about your third. How are you doing in that? What's your plan? And you name them. I mean, it's outright. It's how are we doing on humility? How are we doing on hunger? How are we doing on being smart? It's very clear that this is what is expected of you here. I, it's great. I have this guy that works for me. And he said, you know, if I look at this model, and he's a fabulous employee. He's wonderful. But he goes, yeah, I'm the, I'm the lovable slacker if I had to be one of these. I'm smart and I'm humble, but I'm not hungry all the time. I, I do like to go out and have fun. And I'll probably check out early for the day to go with my friends. And it's like that conversation that he said that to me, it's like, how easy is it for me to coach him now? Yeah. And if everybody's walking around the office going, hey, yeah, this is your issue. Let's talk about that. Oh, I saw that. It's like you're doing them a service. You're not catching them doing something wrong. You're actually coaching them and caring about them. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for taking time. The book is called The Ideal Team Player. Let me just say this also, because this dramatically affects the bottom line. You know, for those of you who are listening yes. going, you know, that's great, Don, but I got bills to pay. <laughs> this is how you pay the bills. I mean, you get the team doing this. We've followed this, you know, essentially this model for a long time, and there's millions of dollars in it. And here's the other thing that's really great. Apart from that, it's healing. Uh, One of the things with our company is we're just convinced you spend eight hours a day with a group of people who are affirming, caring, and you have a job that you like doing and some goals where you can bang your chest at the end of the day and go, I'm powerful, I matter. It's going to affect your marriage, your kids, everything. So why not do it? If you're going to make money doing it and heal people doing it, why not incorporate these values into your organization? Patrick, I think you're changing the world. And I think there are a lot of people who are a lot happier because you exist. And we're, we're grateful. The book, again, is Ideal Team Player. Patrick, when you get a new book, will you come on? I would love to. I'm writing one right now. So hopefully next year I'll, I'll be talking to you again. So that would be an honor. Thanks for having me. This has been a blast. There you go, JJ. Yeah. You, you still like him more than me um, as a business writer and leader? I, I mean, there's a difference. What I was, the way that I think of when we say 
It's just that it's just fit incredibly the painful. part of it's what I was thinking. Painful. I think I get humble. Know, you I get know. humble points for putting up with this kind of abuse. <laughs> you, you know I adore you. Am I allowed to use that word language on here? You know I, think, I adore yeah, you. I think I might be in love with Pat Trickland. <laughs> that's what I was. Yeah, that's what I thought. He's hard to beat. He really is. He is the boss everybody yeah. wants, isn't he? I loved that conversation, and I'm not offended at all. <laughs> Listen, my new book, Building a Story Brand, has been out for a while, and it's doing extremely well. A lot of companies are clarifying their message and changing their marketing collateral so that it works much better and gets them a massive return. If you don't know how to talk about what you're doing, if you feel like your company is in an identity crisis, even because you've grown so quickly, I want you to pick up Building a Story Brand today. You can get it on Amazon. Barnes and Noble, or anywhere you buy books. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs> <laughs>